Welcome to the Meet Sandvik podcast. My name is Marita Sander and today we will dig deeper into the topic of electrification in mining. I'm about to talk to Brian Huff, who is Vice President of Technology at a Sandvik business unit called Artisan, where they are experts in electrification. A warm welcome, Brian. Oh, thanks. Thanks for having me. So, Brian, how come you're so passionate about electrification? Well, I've actually really built my career around electrification. Um, so I, I started pretty early uh, in 1994 um, as, a, as a university student. I got involved in uh, hybrid projects for, uh, that were sponsored by the automakers. And so I, I got involved really early back when there were um, even before nickel metal hydride batteries, we had NICAD batteries and we were uh, making uh, electric Ford Taurus. <clears throat> and so I, I've been involved in this now. It's, it's hard to, sad to admit, but uh, 27 years that I've been uh, working on electric drive battery systems and electric drive vehicles. Um, I spent a lot of time at the university and uh, worked on a lot of um, Department of Energy projects and uh, stayed for graduate school. And, and um, it was really, really an interesting time uh, to be part of the, the electrification of the market. You know, I was working when the EV1 came out and, uh, and we, we made a hybrid version of the EV1. And uh, we did quite a bit of, uh, of, of really interesting work uh, there. And then immediately began uh, working in industry I uh, was kind of recruited straight out of the university to uh, sort of work for, for uh, Mike Cassaba, who started uh, California Motors. And uh, that company has really kind of uh, morphed into what, uh, what became Artisan. Uh, so we, we rebranded the company as Artisan in 2010. And right around the time, actually, that we got into mining vehicles. And, uh, you know, over the years... You know, uh, being sort of research and development oriented, we were always working on sort of the the new thing. And so in the 90s, it was, the new thing was electric cars. And then as the years went by, electric cars became normal and we started working on alternatives. We, we worked on electric boats. We worked on uh, heavier and heavier equipment and eventually got into big rig trucks uh, with Packard, Kenworth. And then... Right at that point uh, is when the mining industry uh, got involved in this whole thing. And, and it started with Kirkland Lake Gold and their mission to uh, expand their mine without increasing their ventilation. And it really, they took the gamble on battery equipment. And we, we, we built a prototype loader and then trucks and uh, eventually built an entire fleet uh, for, for them uh, with RDH mining equipment. Uh, so we were at the time a supplier for batteries and motors. And uh, ever since the mining industry uh, opened up uh, for battery equipment, it's really been uh, the main focus of what we do. And it's by far the best business case and real impact to an industry that we've seen so far. And what would you say are the biggest differences between electrification in mining and cars? Uh, the, kind of, frankly, the size, right? Uh, <laughs> it's much, much bigger, of course. Um, and that brings along a whole bunch of different kinds of challenges, right? We're, we're looking at a lot higher power levels, a lot higher energy levels, um, and a different perspective on safety and serviceability. 
um, everything in mining has to be serviced, you know, and we found early very quickly that uh, security bolts, uh, any kind of warning labels have almost no meaning to miners that need to get this equipment running. So it changes your design focus. You now have to accept that it's going to be serviced. People are going to take it apart and you need to protect those people. Uh, so you have to design for that safety. You can't just put caution labels on it and try and keep people out. Um, so that's really been a focus in all of our development uh, since 2010. And um, you know, a large part of the, uh, the cost of the machine actually goes into that whole system design, for, design for safety. And that's considerably different than automotive. Automotive is really, really cost-focused and um, weight-focused. Everything has to be lightweight and small. Uh, in order to get the most performance and everything in a small package. Um, and, uh, and for mining, it's about reliability, serviceability, and, as well as performance <clears throat> and safety. So like there's a whole bunch more demands. One thing that's kind of easier about mining is that it's actually a fairly well-defined environment. It's harsh, it's difficult, but it's consistent. And automotive, you know, you can take the ca a car anywhere. It's going to work in freezing temperatures. It's got to work in hot temperatures, in the desert, in the sun, in the blizzards. You know, it's, it's got a much more varied uh, application. Um, and that, that makes its own challenges for, for automotive. And what is your work task today? What's, what are you doing in your daily work today? So I'm, I'm now also taking on the, the role of product line manager for the BHEV uh, business unit. And that, that means all of the hybrid and electric drive products uh, are, are my responsibility. So I'm, I'm defining and helping to ensure that whatever we build meets the customer demands. Um, and, and that's something I'm definitely passionate about. I, I like working with people and interacting with customers. And so that, uh, that, that works well for me in, in guiding what these things are and ensuring we have uh, pleased customers. I also work a lot in, in the new technology development um, what's the next battery system that we want to use, electric drive technologies, you know, keeping abreast of all of these innovations and, and finding the right ones to, to apply to our, uh, to our product line. Maybe we should begin with talking a bit about why electrification will, why it's so good, why it will fundamentally transform the mine operations. Yeah, I think when you talk about electrification mining, it's kind of a... a the, talk, the conversation can go a couple different ways, right? In one sense, we want to make it clear to customers that, that you don't have to change your method of mining. You can still operate trucks and loaders in the same way you do now. And so in, in that sense, we want to say that there's no change, right? You just use this new equipment and you use it the same way you did before. You have the same or better performance. You have the same capabilities. Your ramps can be just as long. They can be just as steep. Um, every, don't worry about that. Operators drive them in the same way, all of that kind of stuff. So we, we, we focus a lot on how it's the same. But once you do take on battery equipment, it, it changes everything else, um, but not in how you operate, more in just the, the economics, the, the benefit to workers, and you know the, the impact on the global emissions, everything else. There's a, there's a lot of positive benefits, but it, it's, we kind of try and say it's like, this is a massive change that's really easy to implement. <laughs> um, and that's a bit of the message that we try to make. And I think one of the things that's, um, that's really powering this is that 
it's it's one of the few cases where um, there's a benefit across the board. You know, a lot of times something that's economically beneficial to the mine is tough on the workers. This is not one of those cases. This benefits the workers. It benefits the mine operation. It's easier for ventilation. The government is supportive. The global, uh, you know, environmental concerns are supportive. Like you get everyone pushing in the same direction and it really makes this much more, uh, gives it so much momentum. And uh, so that's, I think, one of the most exciting things about this. So it's going to change a lot. Um, I think we'll find too that uh, it's going to change the perception of of mining in general. You know, it's going to change the perception of the, the mining occupation. You know, it's, it's often considered a significant safety risk and that you are, you know, you're going underground and you're getting compensated for it, but you're, you're sacrificing something. And I think that that, that message is going to change. And I'm hoping that it also brings more people to the industry and it has an you know, overall benefit to the, to, the, to the whole perception around mining. And what development do you see in the coming years? I would say in the coming years, there's going to be a, a, a pretty rapid uh, push to electrification. And, you know, along with that, we're going to get more and more OEMs participating in the development of the equipment. And as, you know, the early adopters and then the fast followers, as we describe them, uh, come on board, it eventually will, it'll become... When, when someone's considering a fleet, they'll, they'll stop asking why we should go with battery equipment or electrified equipment. And they'll start asking, why would we ever use diesel again? And I think that that decision, that, that flip in the approach is, is, is coming very, very rapidly. It'll be assumed that you do an electrified fleet. And then you'll have to decide, well, do we need to use diesel, <laughs> right? And, but the baseline will be electric. And technically, do you see what do you see? What kind of development do you see? So, the a lot of the advancements in the technologies in electrification are going to come around uh, power capability, power density, and reliability. And for batteries, it's about energy density as well as um, efficiency and like life. Right? If we can get batteries to last even longer then the economics tip even more in the favor. You know, for our equipment, uh, batteries are essentially a consumable. You know, for, for automotive, you've got a, a cycle life in your, in your battery of say a thousand cycles. And if your range is 300 kilometers, then you have 300,000 kilometers before that battery needs to be replaced. Whereas in mining, a thousand cycles lasts a year or less so, you know, our batteries last 2,500 to 3,000 cycles, somewhere in that vicinity. And we still, we have to replace batteries every two to three years. Um, so cycle life becomes a real factor uh, for, for our application. And, uh, and, and that's a big focus, of course, in, in the battery industry, for, for especially for uh, stationary applications and, and, and systems where the batteries are used for longer periods and longer uh, depth of discharge, higher depth of discharge. So I think that's one of the trends that you're going to see is, is batteries that last longer, batteries that are smaller with the same amount of energy, and, uh, and, and those are really going to drive the economics of this, of this industry. 
Um, the other, I think, big change, and, and this, is, this is demonstrated through uh, the history of electric vehicles. Uh, the first electric cars were 24 volts, 12 volts, right? They, they did really large capacity batteries at relatively low voltages, and then they were 48, and then they were 72, and you see that like the 25 mile an hour neighborhood electric vehicles. You know, golf carts are all 48, and you know, so then voltage increases, and then they went to 90, and then they're at 150, and you know, uh, the EV1 was 350 volts, and then the Prius is in the 200 something volts, and then the next version is 450, and you know, so voltages just keep driving up, and that's driven largely by insulating material technologies, and um, and uh, you know, capacitors and switching devices and and you know as the electronic technologies develop they can handle these higher voltage differences uh, and or better isolation and that's really what enables these higher voltages so you know now we're at 600 and which is largely driven by the bus industry so we're already talking about a thousand volts and uh, that's that's where we see dramatic improvements in the rest of the system right? Uh, higher voltage means less current for the same power, means less copper, means lower losses overall, because uh, losses in, in conductors are proportional to the square of the current. So dividing the current by two saves you, drops a three quarters of, the, of your losses, right? So th those are kind of the directions that I see that are really going to be game changing in the, in the technology development. How often do you need to recharge a battery in a mine? Um, the right now, our batteries uh, for our trucks last around two hours. And what's interesting is that that is absolutely like one of the most, one of the first questions that get asked. Um, but an interesting spin on that is if it only takes three minutes to change batteries, how much does it matter how long it runs? You know, the, the difference between swapping batteries three times in a shift versus four times in a shift is just three minutes difference between those two. And, and how much does that drive the cost of the battery to have a longer runtime, right? That's, that's where the costs are, is in the quantity of batteries that you carry around. It's also offsetting payload and decreasing your overall efficiency. So, you know, that's one of the the real, you know, ways that we've rethought, rethink the system is a lot of our, one of our marketing messages. And that's one of the ones that we're taking to heart, right? Charging batteries is, is challenging. They don't like to be charged quickly. You can do it. There are technologies and there are chemistries that are good at accepting high charge rates, but why, you know, why don't we focus on swapping the batteries? Just like you have a cordless drill. You know, you use it until the battery dies, you walk over, you swap it, the other battery, and you're back and, uh, and going, and the battery's being charged while you're continuing to work. It's, it's really a very similar concept with, with our equipment. And, and the key is making that battery change really, really easy. You don't have to get out a screwdriver and open up some door and pull out the batteries and put, you know, it's really, really fast. And that's exactly the, uh, the same approach that we're taking with this equipment. And it, and it means that you don't care so much about how long the battery lasts. Um, so that's kind of the thing. So it, it, it's a couple hours, 
which we feel is a good uh, ratio of uh, continuous work versus uh, uh, time spent changing batteries. And, um, and for our loaders, it's uh, often four to five hours, um, depending on what the loader is doing. If it's working on level, which is the most common way that loaders are used, loading trucks, pushing, uh, loading remucks, um, then it's, it's higher, like four to five hours. If you're doing development and you're, you're hauling loads on the ramp, uh, say your, your remuck bay is you know, up the ramp a couple hundred meters, then, then the runtime can go dip below four hours, but it's, it's still um, pretty solid. And, um, and again, battery change is so quick. Uh, and the battery can be kind of changed anywhere. So we can have a battery delivered to the work area where the loader doesn't have to go tram to get it. And that means it, it really is less than a five minute interruption in their work. So, you know, that, and you that, have also developed this self-swapping technology. Yeah, exactly. The, the key to that fast changing system is, is the, is the self-swapping idea or, or the auto swap as it's kind of branded, um, where you don't need a crane. You don't need any infrastructure. You don't need a, a concrete pad or a level floor or some rack or something to put the battery on. You just put it on the ground, drive over to the other battery, pick it up and drive away. And, uh, the combination of that self-swapping capability and the auto connect where all of the connections to the battery are done th through actuators uh, has really dramatically improved the simplicity and, and, and uh, time that it takes to swap batteries. What about the productivity? So that's, that goes with a, another one of our kind of marketing messages. And, you know, it, it comes from this idea that um, if you, there's basically, when you were designing a diesel equipment, the ventilation requirements are a major factor in, in the product performance, right? Uh, the customer is going to have to ventilate based on the amount of installed horsepower. So then as an engineer developing a, a loader, you're thinking, well, I, I got to use the smallest engine that I can so that we have minimal ventilation requirements, which means that I need to optimize the frame design and the driveline design around this smaller engine to, to decrease weight and to make everything as, as optimized as I can to get the best performance out of this engine. Then when we come in with battery capability and electric drive technology, that ventilation requirement goes away. And so now I've got the, the possibility of putting as much power as I want in this loader and I know that if I have more power, I can get, you know, lower, uh, shorter mucking times. I can fill a bucket much faster. I can tram faster. I can climb faster. Um, I can increase my productivity significantly. But if, if you've got an existing machine that was designed around a small engine, you can't really increase it that much because the frame is too weak. The driveline is too weak. The transmission can't handle it. The axles can't handle it. And so you end up having to put a limited amount of electric power in this machine in order to, um, in order to do an, like a uh, uh, conversion. And this is what we would call kind of a generation two implementation. And you know, one of the advantages we had at Artisan was we didn't have any product line. So we were starting from scratch anyway, and we designed it from scratch around battery technology and elect electric drive technology. So we, said, well, what's the most power we can put in there? <laughs> so we, we have, uh, our first machine was a four ton loader and we put 300 horsepower 
in this four ton loader because why not? <laughs> Let's see how much uh, it can actually handle, right? And, um, and we found that actually having that much power, we couldn't get all of it to the ground, um, but we had so much power that there was no lag in driveline power when the, lo the, the, the boom is being raised, right? Often that's a, a challenge for a loader is that while you're trying to raise the boom and, and, road, and load the bucket, you lose driveline power. So you, you end up having to curl and push and curl and push and kind of alternate where we had no, none of that trade-off. Uh, you get all the hydraulic power you need and all the traction power you need and there's no real limitation. The only limitation is traction. The machine is light and you know the wheels will start to spin if, if you don't have enough downforce to, to maintain traction. And uh, so it really kind of changed the whole approach the machine performs really, really, really well. And the difference in cost for a motor that has 50% you know, more power is really insignificant relative to the rest of the, the system. So there's no reason to not put more power in, in this. Put as much as, it's, as you can. It sounds like the operators should love it. <laughs> Are there no disadvantages? Um, as there, you can do it wrong. And then there'd be disadvantages. But uh, one of the also the advantages of electric drive is you've got really good ability to modulate torque and to see your speed. So traction control for an electric drive machine can be can be achieved at a, with a really high degree of success. So that's really kind of the the key. But if you had if you didn't have traction control, then what you'd end up the <laughs> the, the downfall would be tire wear. You'd, you'd spin the tires so much that you'd be replacing tires at a rate that uh, the mines would find uneconomical. Um, but other, you know, from the operator's perspective, they don't care. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, we, we get definitely a very, very positive feedback on uh, the overall performance of the machine and, 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 and not just from the performance. I mean, the, 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 the noise, which is in vibration, which is, a, a, you know, it's, it's a less obvious factor but one that has a real impact on energy levels for, for workers. And, and we heard multiple times uh, from different operators and at different mine sites, how different the workers feel at the end of the day. And, uh, you know, and that, that has a whole social, social aspect to it, right? We're, we're making workers not just healthier, but also happier and more content with their work, happier that they've got the energy to spend on their families, you know, it's a real, it's a real feel good kind of uh, thing. And it, it really helps the rest of us and the team that's developing this stuff to really get some gratification for what we're doing. It's, we're not just trying to make money. We're here, we're, we're really helping people. And that's, uh, makes a big difference. What are the biggest challenges? What are the problems you are thinking about when you can't sleep? Um, you know, a lot of, a lot of the challenge is, is what we're doing right now, right? Trying to get the message across and, and get customers to feel more comfortable about the technology. Um, that's, that's a, that has been a challenge. Uh, that whole, no one wants to be on the bleeding edge and the whole, you know, second mouse gets the cheese message. Um, those kind of things uh, we've got to try to overcome. Um, so that's, but that's really just about time and you know having successful examples out there and we're, we're really starting to get past that um, beyond that you know i think this is common to all kind of new products and that is getting 
service information, getting trained service people uh, and, and getting parts distribution and, and all of that uh, in order to, to scale the market and to go into new market areas, that's, that's the new challenge for us. And, and that's, you know, after you know, being acquired by Sandvik, that was the, the biggest game changer. You know, if we were trying to go this alone, trying to build that on our own was just absolutely monumentally overwhelming. Um, but Sandvik already has that global network. They already have that, uh, that capability. It's what they do well. So um, that's a, you know, a big aspect, I think, of the success going forward. Talking about technical challenges and what are you working on when it comes to development? We have electric equipment. How does it work in a humid environment like a mine? You know, interestingly, the technical challenges aren't all that hard. It's, it's, I, I kind of chuckle when I say that because I think of uh, Elon Musk's message about Tesla. And he said it's, you know, it's, I'm not quoting verbatim, but, uh, you know, it's, it's much easier to make the car than to make the factory. And uh, I would say I agree. <laughs> it's easier to build the prototype and to know how the machine should work. Um, it's harder to make it uh, a high volume affordable, producible item. And, uh, and those are the challenges. So I, I, like, I really don't worry about, you know, the vibration and the moisture content and those things. Those are not that difficult to overcome. And it's not cutting edge technologies to achieve those things. Um, you know, one thing that I think is somewhat challenging about all that is, is comprehending the industry in, in the way you design the equipment. Um, for automotive, you can seal things up and put a bunch of fasteners and everything and then just trust that no one's gonna open that, right? In mining, as we discussed before, everything gets opened and the likelihood of losing a fastener is exceptionally high. And the likelihood that they will care about losing that fastener is exceptionally low. So you have to expect that seals are made to be broken Fasteners are made to be lost and design around that. They're never going to put all the bolts back in, you know, and, <laughs> and so you have to, you have to expect that, that uh, all of those things are going to fail and not rely on them uh, to achieve safety and reliability. Um, and, and so that's, you know, we're, we're trying to stay one step ahead of the, the reality of the, of the industry. You know, that's, it's rough. Everything gets damaged. You know, you're beating it against a rock all the day and that's its job. So you have to imagine that every, every enclosure is going to get dented and broken and then make sure that even in that scenario, uh, you don't sacrifice safety. And uh, so that those, are, those are the challenges, is kind of overcoming that, uh, that reality of mining. We talk about the mine of the future. What do you foresee in that? Um, I think the mine of the future is going to be electrified and automated. You know, those are the two driving technologies. Uh, there will be fewer and fewer people involved in the operation, at least in the in the below ground operation. Um, that's kind of where I see things going. You know, and and those are both real core uh, innovation paths for Sandvik as well. Finally, a question that I ask all participants. If you could choose freely, who would you like to have dinner with and why? <laughs> uh, 
Uh, it's a, that's an interesting question for sure. And I think, I, you know, you have to kind of s- separate that one, uh, you know, personally versus uh, sort of academically. I think from a, more the academic standpoint, you know, I definitely would have curiosity to, to meet people of the more distant past. Um, but I feel like I would have a really interesting conversation with some of the inventors of the Industrial Revolution, you know, Thomas Edison or Henry Ford. or uh, And I think that those are the people that I would feel like I'd have a real connection to. And I really would, would like to, you know, commiserate on the challenges of getting, uh, you know, technology into a marketable state, right? <laughs> you know, it's, it's one thing to make the light bulb. It's another thing to get everybody to buy the light bulb, you know, and... Um, and that's, I think, uh, would be a really interesting uh, conversation to have. Yeah, maybe you see uh, similarities. <laughs> yeah, we can commiserate, right? And that's, uh, yeah, we, so I think that's where I would go. You know, like Thomas Edison or, or Alexander Graham Bell and, you know, the, the inventors of that, uh, that whole era. Thank you so much, Brian, for participating in the Meet Sunday podcast. Oh, my pleasure. It was, uh, it was quite fun.